Hey, business owners, do you want to build a stronger team? Mark your calendars for the 8th Annual Refresh Leadership Live Simulcast event held on April 12th, hosted by Express Employment Professionals. This year's speaker lineup is well-versed in the essential characteristics of outstanding teams and the role leadership plays in helping them succeed. Hear from Super Bowl champion coach Jimmy Johnson about the lessons he's learned throughout his legendary coaching career. Best-selling author Patrick Leononi will explore virtues that make some people better team players than others. And then world champion adventure racer and firefighter Robin Benacasa will take you on a fast-paced adventure with people who accomplish extraordinary feats together. From being a team player to the importance of human synergy, this is a learning and networking event you don't want to miss. For more information or to register now, visit refreshleadership.com slash live. That's refreshleadership.com slash live. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. We were talking about the men in black and the secret societies and the clock had gotten us, but uh, I'll let you continue. Yeah, sure. Well, as I mentioned before the break, you know, most people, you think of a man in black, you think of ties to the UFO subject, which is understandable because there are a lot of reports that fall into those categories. But over the years, I've come across a number of other significant and mysterious reports where people have been sort of invited into some of these powerful secret societies and claim to have seen men in black type characters at these um of these rituals and, and rites and so on. And the reason why they stand out is because, in unlike the movie versions of the Men in Black, the real versions are very creepy and weird-looking. They're very sort of pale and gaunt and, you know, wear these old-style sh- um, suits and the, the black fedoras. And as strange as it said, I've got a number of stories of people um, who have been sort of invited to, to join these powerful secret societies and have seen the men in black, um, as I said, hovering around the fringes of, the, of these organizations. And some of the people, um, one of the ones I talk about in the book, where, for example, the person was recruited into this group and then found himself followed by these strange-looking men in black for a week or two before he finally got the, the final invite to join as if you know they were watching him to make sure that um you know he was the right sort of person from their perspective to have on board and what was interesting is that most of these societies where people talked about seeing these mib type characters were ones that had a very long ancient lineage going back literally centuries um and some a lot of them i should say were actually connected with government and the world of politics and so forth and um and it creates like an image of the men in black somehow Mm -hmm. being tied to numerous not just secret societies but strands of government as well as if they've got this almost like an invisible network if you like are these mibs do they look human are they human no they actually don't really look fully human they look very strange they typically have these large oversized eyes which they typically camouflage by wearing sort of large sunglasses that look more like like this sort of goggles that a skier would wear and they're extremely probably the best way to describe is like emaciated you know they look they look like a gaunt reanimated corpse and um and this is why people remember them you know so vividly when they were having these initial um 
you know, interviews, if you like, uh, to see if they were the right people to come on board with these groups. And they would never, the men in black would never speak. They would just be sort of hovering and glaring in the background at the people. So very, very weird aspect of the mystery. Nick Redford with us. Nick, you write about a lot of people. Who was Kenneth Goff? Mm. Well, Kenneth Goff was someone who, in many respects, was... Um, well ahead of his time. Now, there's a great deal of talk within the UFO field and conspiracy theorizing today about the the scenario of sort of like a faked alien invasion right. to place us all, you know, under some sort of new world order. You know, but it'll be a ruse. It'll be a, fabrica- a fabricated um, alien invasion, you know, rather than a literal real one, um, like a false flag, but involving flying saucers. Now, as I said, we, we've heard a lot about that in the last few years. A lot of people don't realize that this man, Kenneth Goff, um, when I said he was, you know, ahead of his time, it was because Goff was warning about a secret group way back in the 1950s that he believed, or actually he'd uncovered information suggesting way back then they were planning to try and initiate something along those lines. Now, Kenneth Goff was someone who published uh, a massive amount of, or self-published a massive number of dossiers and papers and books um, for the titles, for example, Will Russia Invade America? Um, Confessions of Stalin's Agent? And... Basically, they revolved around politics for the most part, but he actually published um, uh, one particular paper titled What's Behind the Flying Saucers? Now, this was published in the 1950s, and in this report and in his related um, writings, Kenneth Goff claimed that as a result of digging into these uh, various secret societies and groups that he believed were sort of the real uh, controllers of the planet, he stumbled, up, stumbled upon this group that was taking its inspiration from the famous story of Orson Welles' um, radio version of War of the Worlds, where people listening to the show who came in halfway through literally thought an alien invasion was actually occurring. And um, supposedly they took their inspiration from that to think, well, hey, can we actually create a staged alien invasion to essentially take control of the planet? Um, now, whether or not this could actually be you know, fully achieved, I guess, is debatable. But the fact that Kenneth Goff um, uncovered this particular organization in 1950s America um, and the more he looked into it, he found that it wasn't, you know, the government that was doing it. It was powerful people who had been recruited outside of government. Some of them, you know, had previous jobs in, you know, in the official world. But on retirement, or in some cases, while they were still working, you know, within government, they were recruited into this sort of um, what we would call like a, a shadow government and, you know, told essentially, this is what we want to do. This is, this is our long-term aim, is to sort of enslave the human race. And um, a number of files have surfaced through the Freedom of Information Act surveillance files on Kenneth Goff. People were clearly, you know, watching him to see how close he was actually getting, you know, to this mysterious organization. And Goff alluded to having found that uh, the group had... 
um, recruited people in the UK and Australia and Canada, all were, all of who were sort of willing to get on board with the idea of creating this worldwide ruse of a uh, of an alien invasion. Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast. Become a Coast Insider to hear more of this conversation, as well as any program from the last five years of Coast to Coast AM. That's almost 2,000 shows, plus even more classic programs available deep in the Coast to Coast archive. It's the total package for anyone looking to learn about the strange and unusual, no matter what kind of weirdness you want to explore. From UFOs and Bigfoot to cutting-edge science and alternative medicine, Coast to Coast sets the standard when it comes to covering the stories they don't want you to know about. So head on over to coasttocoastam.com to become a Coast Insider and start listening. Do they try to kill people involved in the UFO field? Well, you know, this is an area that I cover quite extensively in the book because, you know, there have been some mysterious deaths in ufology. There's no doubt about that. Um, now, of course, you know, we're all human. We're all on a time limit. So, you know, um, a lot of people who die in ufology, you know, they die like the rest of us do. It's old age and things like that. But in saying that, there have been some very weird and sinister deaths in ufology. And this sort of ties in with cults of assassins you know we think of assassins you think of you know secret agents james bond types but throughout history you can find um, stories of organizations that were sort of loose-knit but extremely uh, secret where you know that they would be they could be hired and they you know they didn't work for any particular agency apart from this sort of very shadowy um carefully hidden group that they were all tied to. Now, I mean, one perfect example of a mysterious death in the very earliest years of ufology was the first Secretary of Defense, James Forrestal. That's right, yeah. Who in 1949, one particular night, um, was either pushed, jumped, or fell, depending on whose version of events you accept as the right one, uh, out of a window, a high window of the Bethesda Naval Hospital. And there are widespread rumors that at the time of his death, um, he was on the verge of revealing what he knew about the UFO subject. And prior to being admitted to Bethesda, he did have a nervous breakdown. And one of the long-standing theories is that as the first Secretary of Defense, he was um, informed on exactly what was known about the UFO subject uh, 1947 onwards and the story is that some of the material was said to be so dangerous and sinister that it essentially plunged him into this sort of um like a totally stressful stress-filled state and then plunged him finally into a complete breakdown and so the theory is that he was essentially assassinated before he had the ability to tell the public and the media what he knew which is which is what he was rumoured to be on the verge of doing. Um, another case I talk about um, from 1959, a man named Maurice Jessup. Maurice Jessup was a UFO researcher in the uh, 50s, and he was one of the early researchers of the so-called Philadelphia experiment, this old legend. That's, of, right. That's where uh, his name was invisible in the uh, by the Navy in the Second World War. And Maurice Jessup died under very weird circumstances in 1959. He was found in his car 
um, having died from carbon monoxide poisoning in a Florida park early one morning. And it looked initially like a, you know, just a tragic case of suicide. You know, somebody hooks up a, um, a hose to the exhaust pipe, puts it through the window, and, you know, within a very short time, they're dead. But it was found there are a number of anomalies with his death. For example, um, the, uh, there were a lot of suspicions or, that the event had been staged, and even the police thought there was something more to this that they weren't able to necessarily resolve. And you can also find um, a lot of UFO strands around arguably the most famous or infamous um, assassination of all time, that of President John F. Kennedy. Um, there are rumors that Kennedy was on the verge of revealing what he knew about UFOs when he was assassinated um, in Dealey Plaza, Dallas, in uh, November 1963. Um, you can find numerous people in ufology who were tied to... Um, also to the Kennedy assassination, for example, Guy Bannister. Um, yeah, you you write about him too, don't you? Yeah, well, uh, Guy Bannister was a private detective. Uh, he he, he was with the F he was with the FBI, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, and he's been tied to the assassination um, for many many years. That you know, he's one of the central figures. It turns out that back in '47, and we know this through the Freedom of Information Act that he was heavily involved in investigating the early um, early UFO reports in his official capacity as a, as a special agent back then. And also from 1947, we have a famous um, story of a UFO exploding over Maury Island in Washington State. One of the primary players in that story uh, was a man named Fred Chrisman. Fred Chrisman, in 1963, after the Kennedy assassination, was uh, was actually fingered as one of the the three so-called um, hobos who were photographed uh, just outside Dealey Plaza uh, near, some, near some railroad tracks immediately after the Kennedy assassination. And at one point, Jim Garrison, who wrote the book On the Trail, uh, of the assassins, and um, whose story was told in Oliver Stone's JFK, um, the we, the story was that Jim Garrison actually thought that Fred Chrisman, this guy who was tied with UFOs back in '47 at Maury Island, um, was actually one of the key players and orchestrators of the assassination, and that the list just goes on and on. I mean, for example, Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, before he worked at the, the famous book depository where supposedly he shot Kennedy. Um, he worked for a company uh, called Jaggers um, Stovers. And um, the, the basic uh, work that he did was uh, revolved around analyzing um, data collected by U-2 spy plane pilots. Now, the U-2 um, was designed out of Area 51. So, you know, you even have this sort of tie-in with Oswald as well. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.